be who it says I can be. Today, I will be taught the Word of God. I boldly declare, my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, my ears are open, and I better not go to sleep. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, thank you for the Word today, Lord. And Father's You gave me this word just over a week ago. And just as it's filled my heart, Lord, I pray that I'll be able to communicate it in such a way that will fill the hearts of everyone that's listening here today. That God, they'll be encouraged through this word. And they'll know that victory is sure in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. You may be seated. So today, you know, I'm continuing in Pastor's series. He's talking about vision, vision, vision. And I want to talk to you about vision for the space between. Vision for the space between. Last week, Pastor made a statement that just really stayed in my heart every single day for the last seven days. And he said, make patience your friend. Don't look at patience as your enemy, but make patience your friend. And it stuck with me because you see, patience isn't just the ability to wait. It's how you're waiting that counts. How you're waiting is just as important as waiting itself. And so you have vision. And what is vision? You know, vision is an idea, an insight into what God has shown you. It may be a promise. It may be a calling. It may be an image that he gave you. You can get vision several different ways. You can get vision through prayer. You can get vision through prophecy. You can get vision through reading the pages of his word. You can get vision through a dream. You can get vision through the Holy Spirit just directly giving you an idea or giving you vision or giving you direction. Vision. But the way I found that God normally operates with vision is he likes to show you the end first. He shows you yourself on a great stage or he shows you yourself in a in a business or he shows yourself with a family or he gives you this picture, this idea of the end. But what I realize is he don't give us the picture of the middle. But he gives us the beginning at the beginning, the end, so it can encourage us to sustain the middle. Vision. Insight. I want to talk about vision into the in-between into that space between what does that look like you know here's how it works he gives us this this vision and this promise and because he's a manufacturer of our life and the manufacturer of our being he's the originator he has set it up that our engineering is maximized when we're under his vision that's why he's so clear on it here's what hebrews 12 1 to 2 says this therefore Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance, 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 the race that's marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I love this part. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. 
You see, so God had showed Jesus that at the end he was to be seated at the right hand of the Father. The joy that was set before him, he was able to endure the sacrifice of the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, in Luke 1, the angel comes to Mary and he tells her, you know, you're going to have a son. The most important future that ever came on the, you know, the planet of the earth. Jesus is going to be the savior of the world. But he doesn't reveal to her. Her son's going to be attacked. He's going to have to hide out in Egypt. Kings are going to seek to kill him. The enemy is going to tempt him in a wilderness season when he was alone. His disciples would one day act like they didn't know him. That there'd be a falling away. You know, they didn't, he didn't explain that when he was revealing the promise. No, that's not how, what happens. But along the way, even though there were great experiences and lives were changed, there was a sacrifice. So let's gain some insight into this. Because the Bible says in Hebrews, as we just read, a race is being watched in heaven as we are walking it out on earth. So Mark 4, 14 to 15 says this, the farmer sows the word and then these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, I don't know if it's up there, but here, listen here. It says, when they have heard, when they have heard the promise, when they have heard the prophecy, when they have heard the vision, when they have heard the word, it says immediately Satan goes after it to uproot it. His job is clear. John 10, 10 tells us he comes to steal, he comes to kill, and he comes to destroy. What does he want to destroy? The promise that he already gave you. When will he destroy it? The minute he gave you, he goes to work. You see, it's not just the Holy Spirit and angels that are watching you run this race. When God gives you a vision and he gives you a passion, he gives you an idea, he releases angels and he releases the Holy Spirit to get people into your path to work it out. Situations to work on your favor. But then there's an assignment from the devil who also does everything he can do to stop that from coming to pass. He also puts demonic influence in people or situations to come your way. You start running, excited about the vision, but ignorant of the process it's going to take. Excited, but ignorant. It's okay, we've all been ignorant. (laughs) But the Bible encourages us, be not ignorant about the enemy's devices. This is why you can get a prophecy And right after you get a prophecy, you have a pitfall experience like Joseph. Joseph gets this big dream, this big vision. God shows him, man, you are going to be above your brothers. You are going to have this platform, this mega place. And it was the very same brothers that turned around and put him into a pit right after the prophecy. I need you to start tracking. You understand? I need you to track when, when God dropped a dream in your heart or he dropped a, a, a desire in your heart. I want you to track and see what, what happens. Many times it's after a preacher preaches a word, they're most vulnerable to sin. You will know that. It's ask a musician, ask a worship person. After they've emptied all, the resistance is low. The enemy will come to try and do that. That is why 
That is why, you know, you can be like Mary and get that promise. And right after, that promise is attacked. Herod is coming after Jesus. Jesus did not do nothing to Herod. Jesus was only under two years old. That's why you can hear a word from Jesus at the last supper, right then. And then 48 hours later, act like you don't know him like Peter. Say, I don't know who he is. You are, you are within three years though. In between. Why? Because the space between here and there has demonic forces that will haunt your faith. They will hinder your faithfulness and hamper your testimony. Satan's goal is for you to give up on God, to doubt his word and his process, and to falter along the way. But can I tell you, we are not of them who draw back. We're of them who stand up. You know, Pastor Bridget had a, had a, had a message and a, um, I wanted to take some of her strategies from it because she had really broken down some of the enemy's attacks. So here are how the satanic strategies work in the in-between. We're going to talk about the Lord, but see, you also have to know that when you get the vision, it's not just like you skip to Malu and it just works out. It doesn't happen that way. God doesn't give you the vision and then it doesn't get under attack. You don't get married and then, you know, a lot of people say the first year of marriage is like hell on, on earth. Because what? You did something about to produce godly seed, doing a principle of God, and then boom, hate each other in the first, you know, trying to kill each other 30 days later. How come you were dating seven years? Listen. Satanic strategies. You ready? Number one, the satanic strategy of intimidation. Intimidation. This is where... The enemy will try to use shame and embarrassment to hold you back. You see, we have a vision here at Word of Truth Family Church. Second Samuel 7 verse 10. For God will move Word of Truth Family Church into a place of their own and they will move no more and the children of wickedness will no longer be able to mock them. That is what the word says. He gave us a vision. He gave us a promise. Well, there came a time in this promise a couple weeks ago or maybe about a month ago that we were in a very big dispute. Again, he gave us a vision. He didn't let us know that we would have to deal with racism along the way. He didn't let us know that people would go onto our property and defame it and write graffiti all over it and would make the news. He didn't let us know that there would be, we would have to fire contractors and get into legal disputes. He didn't let us, you see, we didn't know. And all of this was demonic attack. And we had to resist and press. And a couple of weeks ago, we were in another dispute. In another situation where we were being intimidated and pushed to sign something that we didn't want to sign. And of course, the enemy would come to him with a strategy of intimidation and say, What are you going to tell your church if you can't pay the lady with the windows? What are you going to tell the church if you have to start the project again? What are you going to, you know... The embarrassment, the threat of embarrassment and shame. And so he went to that lady and said, give me three days. And because he resisted the temptation of strategic satanic influence to hold on to the what if. And said to the lady, give me three days. He leapt out on faith. He came here. He could be ashamed and go, boy. I'm so ashamed, I don't know how to face you. But he stood boldly and he said, listen, we need to raise an offering. 
In 13 years, we've never done an impromptu offering like this, but we need to because this is the battle we're in. He didn't allow the enemy's shame and intimidation to cause him to back away. And not only did y'all raise the money, then another location, another church gave us $200,000 within that three days. We got the money within 48 hours. God was faithful, but the attack was real. So when you are falling under the strategy of intimidation, you have to answer it with boldness. You have to say never scared. The satanic strategy of irritation. Irritation through frustrations and delays. God, when is it going to happen for me? When is this going to break through? When is that going to turn around? I'm frustrated. I'm going for the car loan again and again and again. I keep getting turned down. I try to get, you know, my house done and it's turned down again and again. I'm getting frustrated. You have to beware of the satanic attack of frustration. Allowing things in the process to irritate and frustrate you. That was us, you know. We didn't pass the fire code today or, you know, have to change the opening dates or just things that would just want to frustrate you. The satanic strategy of isolation. Isolation. Self-pity. No one understands. Poor me. I'm by myself. It's, you know, the isolation is the most dangerous thing you can do. Because what he will do is push you and push you and push you away. And when he pushes you away, then he has a one-on-one audience with you. When you really should have a one-on-one audience with Jesus. But remember, his assignment is to separate you from Jesus. So whatever he can do to make you feel alone and make you feel by yourself and cause you to look at what you don't have and look at what you're losing and look at what you've lost instead of what you're gaining and what you could have, then isolation becomes a strategic uh, uh, strategy he can use. The satanic strategy of incrimination. Incrimination. Incrimination is self-condemnation. I could have. I should have. I wish I did. I never would. All of those that we tell ourselves. And we beat ourselves down. And he uses incrimination when we judge our own selves. But can I tell you the Bible says. That there is now therefore. No condemnation for them who are in Christ Jesus. He further says in John, if you will repent, I will forgive you of all your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So therefore, the strategic assignment of incrimination cannot stand up against you because you can plead the blood over yourself and say, Lord, Jesus' blood has redeemed me from sin and shame and death. And therefore... I will not be incriminated. The satanic strategy of influence. When someone has a capacity to impact your beliefs away from the promise and principles of God. You know, when I ran away from home, uh, we, uh, I was about 13 years old, that kind of thing. And of course, at 13, I really thought I was grown. Because I just thought I was. So I had a good group of friends and somehow I ended up getting introduced to this other girl who was a little bit older than me. I don't even know how I became friends with her, really. I can't even remember that far. Some tragedies you just want to forget. So that was a tragedy I want to forget. So I don't recall how I met her. Either way, I met her. And I mean, you know, 
I, I don't know how I got in her influence or her sphere, but we were hanging out and stuff like that. So then there was this big party that, you know, people went to and it was an hour and a half away. But I had never been to that party before. Now, I had been to every other party. Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday. You're saying, but Pastor Sarah, you said you were 13. Yeah. I was 13 and in the club, and when you're sinning, it makes you look old. So they didn't have to card me because a life away from God. When, when you live the right life, you look young and effervescent. You age amazingly. But child, when you caught up, you look rough. And I was, I, they didn't have to card me because I look like I belong there. So yes, I was 13 and in every club and at every party. But I had never gone that far away from home. So I was like, oh, yeah, I'll go with her to the party. So on these one rare occasions that my dad was in town, you know, I'm like, yeah, daddy, I'm going to go to this party. He's like, where is it? And I'm like, in Ocho Rios. He's like, you're not going to no party in Ocho Rios. I was like, first of all, you can't tell me what to do though because I run this house. Me and Che are the parents of this house. We raise all these children when you all are not here. We're the parents. So I'm going to leave. And so I remember standing there being nervous about leaving, right? Because he was like, well, if you leave, don't come back. And I remember being nervous, nervous about him saying, well, I won't come back then. But boy, this girl got in my ear. She was like, he's not like he's here anyway. You take care of yourself anyway. You take care of all these kids. You'll be fine. Move in with me. And me like an idiot. Like an idiot. I did. I did like an idiot. Follow this idiot. And she was an idiot. And if she ever watches this on YouTube, I say to her face, you're an idiot. Maybe she got redeemed from now. Maybe she had, her life has changed. I don't know. But in that situation, she was leading me astray. Okay. And so, and I'm only saying that now because I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. While, you know, I feel this way. Okay. You'll be like, yes, sorry. Hey, something, everybody got to get delivered at some point. Maybe today's my day of deliverance. But we went with her. I went, I went with her you know packed up my stuff put it at her house her mom is like hey it's fine because she had no morals no nothing no nothing has me over there police is all over kingston looking for me right my dad is freaking out i'm over here having the time of my life i think where am i going i'm 13 i have no job what am i doing okay so anyway i'm over there we go to the party with her friends okay we get to the party blah 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 we're in all these hotels and stuff and there comes now a time where me and her in this hotel room, it's like six guys. And they're now trying to, you know, move on you. And you realize this is coming a dangerous situation. What does she do, y'all? Tell me. Run to the bathroom and lock herself in there. And left me out there with the other guys. Only one didn't move. Five guys, they're over here trying to gang rape me. But my friend would rather preserve herself and put me at danger. That's when I knew we're not going, we need this not going to work out right here. By the grace of God, I wasn't saved. I got saved a little bit right after that, you think? <laughs> I was like, shoot, I ain't living like this. This is not for me. I can't do this. I don't want to be up in this threatening situation. I don't do it. But I tell you, I, I got out of that situation with a, a spirit of anger or just because I could fight. Because I could fight. I know I look real good right now. This is called the Eben Upgrade. This is called He Has Made Me Better. But the truth be told, there is a little Jamaican fighter in here. 
And I got out of that situation. God helped for her. And then after that, I, I just like cut that thing off. But I looked and I remember the words that she was saying. See, I, in my normal self, as mad as I would have been at my dad, I'd have never done that on my own. Because I really like my dad. And it just put me into such chaos afterwards. And I then I eventually had to go back to my dad. And it was such an embarrassing thing anyway. And praise God, the kind of person he's just re- received. So you see, satanic strategy of intimidation, irritation, isolation, incrimination, or influence. The space between has adversarial attack assignments. And if you and I are ignorant about it, we'll think it's just random things. Not understanding you have been targeted from the moment you got a vision. From the minute a promise went over your life. The greatest thing the enemy would like is to steal the joy from God from you fulfilling it. That's what he can taunt into God's face. They never made it. They never held out for you. Then he went to Job. You know, when, can I have your servant Job? I bet you if you do this, he'll turn away from you. I bet you if you do that, he'll turn away from you. I bet you if you interrupt him on the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As long, but see, when those things come, Job said, no, no, no. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Though the fig tree does not bloom and there is no fruit on the vine, yet will I trust him. Job lost everything, but he didn't lose God and God recovered everything to him. The space between, the space between. I found for me every single time, share, and this is a fact. Those of you who've been here around share, share is our women's, con, uh, women's ministry that we do here. If you're on the executive team or the planning team, you'd have seen this pattern. Every single time that share would come up, something would happen with one of my kids. Truth or not true. They'd get sick. Something would happen. Some kind of car issue. Something would happen. And then I realized. They can't get me. So they're going to come after my kids. Well that's the stupidest thing you can do to me as a devil. Because I'm not going back away from my kids. And so I started to realize it was a pattern. So instead of me just waiting for share. And for it to happen. I had to start praying and fasting. Way before share. Because I knew the enemy would come after. Landon or heaven in their health. Normally in their health. And I have to rem- remember, hey, I fought these battles before. I fought demons sliding up on the wall and scoring through here. I've seen this work of the enemy. But see, on the inside, I'm like a junior Mayweather. When the enemy comes in like a flood, I don't panic and I don't back down. No, I put my gloves on and you may hold me against that ram and you may have me over here and I'm going to laugh at you like Mayweather because there's an uppercut coming your way that you are not going to, you're not going to be able to recover from. And too many of you lay down on the devil. Too many of you get worried and panic and, and just not taking an advance attack about your vision. What is it that God is giving you that the enemy is trying to rob you from? Don't be passive about it. Stand up. Put your gloves on. State your promise. Genesis told me that the enemy, Revelation tells you that the enemy has children that will fight your children. But in the beginning, God tells you in Genesis 3 that you will crush his head. So that when he's attacking, you remember your kid's going to crush his head even if his kid's trying to bruise your heel. That's how God does it. He gives you the beginning so that you can sustain to the end. 
So how are you going to make it through? How are you going to make it through? How are you going to make patience your friend in the space between? How are you going to win over this in the end? Simple. First, you have to understand that breakthrough does not happen at the end of the journey. It happens before. Breakthrough happens right here. You say, Lord, I'm working for a breakthrough. I'm believing for a breakthrough. 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 Okay. It's right here, though. This is where the breakthrough happens. When God gives a vision, the enemy comes to try and what? Steal the word. Right? It's right in there. When you make a decision of obedient faith that establishes an unwavering course of action. When by an act of your faith, you make a decision saying, come what may, I will unwaver in my faith. That's when breakthrough happens. It's not after. It's a predetermined decision to obey God no matter what the cost. So when it comes, you have the courage to continue. Breakthrough. Breakthrough resists the temptations. What temptations? One, to throw rocks at others who are succeeding. See, you're in a breakthrough season when you don't have to throw rocks at somebody else's who's doing well. Breakthrough resists the temptation to find excuses for why you're not working on the vision. For why you're not going on with the dream. That's breakthrough. You remember I told you, breakthrough is when you're doing faith actions that are not wavered, right? So you resist the temptation to find excuses for not fulfilling the vision or for disobedience. You resist the temptation to scale back your expectations. When we were doing this building, we were tempted so many times, make it smaller. It would be more affordable. Make it smaller. It'd be more affordable. Make it smaller. I remember one day pastor was about to make it smaller. And somehow a pastor uh, out of um, Cedar Hill called him and said, God just put you on my mind and said to tell you, keep it the same size. Had no idea. That he was right there with the architect trying to find a way to make the building smaller. But breakthrough resists the temptation to scale back your dreams and scale back your efforts. Breakthrough resists the temptation to squander your potential. Don't sell yourself short. Go for it. Go for it. Go for it. Breakthrough, resist the temptation to gravitate to anti-faith teachings you once believed. Some of you get pulled away going, you know, tithing don't work. It used to work for you. But somebody got in your ear where you think giving doesn't work anymore. Because what? You met up on a hurdle. Child, you met up on a hurdle. You were just skating with Jesus. You know, everything was just growing and stuff. And now you want some kind of financial difficulty. And you see this hurdle in your way. And you look and you say, well, I'm not a hurdler. I can't jump this hurdle. What do I do? Oh my goodness. If I run from really far, can I scale it? Can I run it? So the hurdle come and you back up because you don't know what to do with the hurdle. I'm going to tell you what to do with a hurdle. You got to know and be fully convinced that God said in his word, he will always provide a way of escape for you. So you look at this hurdle 
You look at this thing in your way. You look at this interruption. You look at this demonic attack. You look at this pause. You look at this hindrance. You see this thing standing your way. And your little flesh goes, I cannot climb it. I cannot get over it. And the wisdom of God says, you don't have to. Because you can just go so. The wisdom of God says, listen, you can go so. The wisdom of God says, what you can do is take this thing up and go like this. And get it out your way. You have authority over everything that is standing in your way. You have power and authority over every hindrance and every hurdle that could ever stop you from getting to your next destination. You don't have to back up and be intimidated by this. You find a way. And God has put you on my heart that some of you are getting stuck with this because you don't see on the other side of this is a greater that. Don't let Satan intimidate you with what you got to move out your way. Move it. Move it. That is what he says. And obedience is never easy. Moving this hurdle is not easy. Going under it is not easy. Going around it is not easy. Finding a way is not easy. But my God, it is part of the process. And if you can make your faith go in the direction of forward, there is a greater thing on the other side that you will not understand until you get there. And so he says, listen here, make a firm faith commitment to pursue and fulfill the assignment. Fulfill your assignment. Fulfill your assignment. You are assigned by God to do incredibly imaginative and creative things. Do it. And stop allowing your emotions and everything to stop you. You're going to cry, cry for a while. Sit, cry, and get it done. You're going to be mad, be mad for a while. But don't stay mad forever. Get it done because every moment you spend being mad is a moment you take away from moving forward. Every moment you stay in regret is a moment you take from moving forward. Every moment you still, what should I, could I, is a moment you take away from moving forward. Your future cannot afford any more stolen moments. You cannot afford to be in loss and try to go forward. Going back to Luke, when Jesus started on the scene, even though the path wasn't revealed, what was required was obedience to present, present time instruction. When Jesus was there, the angel came in present time and said, listen, they're trying to kill him. Move him to Egypt. Had Mary and Joseph not listened to present time instruction, live instruction from God, we wouldn't have a Jesus. If they were like, well, I don't know about Egypt. Um... We don't have visas or green cards to go over there. Um, suppose we don't fit in. They did that thing immediately. Had the woman in 1 Kings 17 disobeyed and chosen the path of death by eating her seed. When he said, make me a cake first, she was like, hold up, no, I'm going to die. Had she not obeyed the prophet against what she wanted to do, against her appetite, she was hungry. She was on her last And he said, no, can you risk obeying God in this? Can you risk it? Had she not, she would not have seen the miracle of many days of provision on the backside. Had Joseph not resisted the advances of Potiphar's wife, he would not have been the prime minister. 
a position God had shown him many years before. See, he didn't know seven years, eight years down the line that, that, you know, she was going to, you know, because a lot of times we hear about men abusing women. Uh, this isn't a Bible case where the woman was abusing the man. Hey, just tell you that it can happen. Okay. Some of you in domestic violence and it's not the man to the woman. It's the woman like charging after the man. Okay. If that's you, then we'll pray after. All right. There's, there is a way out. There is a way out. So I have watched us through this process. Stand on this promise. And now more than ever, we are just days away. But can I tell you when these attacks came, the unfairness, and I cannot explain the unfairness, the prejudice, though just the sheer uh, dumb stuff that would happen during this process. Makes you doubt yourself. Makes you go in there and go, God, did I really hear from you? God, is this really an assignment that's going to come to pass? God, will it really finish? God, will really make it? When we're looking like we're a million dollars in the hole. And we don't come and tell you all that. Because we have to fight on the backside. And we're on our knees. God, come through you for your people. God, bless the hands of your people. God, redeem your people. God, restore your people. When we are on the backside of that doubting ourselves and standing and going, Oh my gosh, this is more bigger than we thought it would be. It's overwhelming for us. Boy, it was so easy being in the believing stage. It was so easy just to be on prayer confessing that. But my God, to actually do it and walk into it. The story comes when the woman who had built a house for Elijah, as he was passing on his way, and God said to her, listen, you'll have a son by this time next year. And she said to the prophet, don't tease me like that. Don't disappoint me because that's a promise that really means a lot to me. Don't say it's going to happen and it don't happen. And he said, surely as the Lord liveth, you shall have a son. She had a child and the child grew and then one day the child died. What happens when it looks like your promise is dying? What you're believing for is dying. What was that? That was a satanic attack on her promise. But what did she do? Not one time do you recall the woman bawling over it. The Bible says she was coming and Elijah was up on the mountain and he saw her and he told Gehazi, hey, isn't that the woman who built the house for me? And he said, yes. He said, go and check on her. Ask her, how is her son? How is your promise? That promise was enwrapped under a demonic attack. It did not look like there was any hope. It did not look like anything was going to happen. And when Gehazi saw her, she said, it is well with my soul. And she kept walking. And when she got up there to Elijah, she said, it is well with my soul. The boy is dead on the ground, on the bed. And Elijah went and laid across the bed and raised that promise from the dead. The old saints would say it like this. You see, when you have an unfailing, unwavering trust in God and what he wants you to do and the vision that he has given you, even though you're going to get those things, it's not going to be perfect. Sometimes it's not even going to be pretty. I mean, heaven used to play soccer and so she used to have some beautiful goals, right? But then sometimes you go, oh my God, that was the ugliest win. Because it won flawless. It had a lot of trips. People got injured in the game. People were stumbling over each other. Their cleats cut each other. 
They got in each other's way. Sometimes I saw them run, you know, run and hit each other. And you're wondering, is this a team? Who are these people? They've been playing soccer for so long. Doesn't mean because you've been in the faith so long, you're not going to have mishaps. It don't mean you're not going to have bumps and bruises. It don't mean you may not win with your whole shins bleeding. But if you can resolve like you would in your game or in your business or in your marriage, you can resolve. I'm going to get there though. And if I have to run through every defender, if I have to run through every forward, if I have to run through every linebacker, if I have to run through every running back, it doesn't matter what I have to run through. I am going to get there. Then you can be like the woman and say it is well with my soul. The saints used to say what? When peace, like a river, attendeth my way. When sorrows, like sea billows roll. When sorrows, when it's so hard for you. When it's so difficult for you. When it's coming like waves trying to engulf you. The song says, whatever my lot. You have taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. It is well. It is well. With my soul. It is well. Lord, I don't understand, but on the inside, it is well. With my soul. And some of you, your souls are not well. You don't have the confidence. That's why I see the psalmist says, rise up, my soul. And bless the Lord. The only cure for your soul being well. Is getting back into worship. If it's not well with your soul. And you've been tormented. I want to pray a prayer of freedom for that. Because the Bible promises us. That he would lead us beside still waters. So even if this comes in our way. We on the inside can go. I don't like it. I don't like what's happening. I don't like what I'm seeing. I don't like what I'm experiencing. But my God, I know he's, he's going to carry me through. And I'm going to trust him. And it's going to be well with my soul. So if that's you and you want me to pray for you, just raise your hand real quick. I see you just stand where you are. We'll pray. Just stand where you are because they're all over the house. They're all over the house. So nobody's here alone. We're not going to let the enemy use a satanic assignment of isolation. To make us feel like we're alone. Because we're not. Look at each other. And see how many people the enemy is attacking. You see how real the devil is? But we're not going to let him win. We're not going to give him victory in this. Let us pray. 
Father, in the name of Jesus, you always hear us when we pray. And God, you have given us power and authority. You said that we have the authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. And right now, in the name of Jesus, we stand in that authority. And we loose the bonds of wickedness that will be over every mind in this place. Every mind that is being subjected to confusion and intimidation and isolation and incrimination and shame. Father, in the name of Jesus and fretfulness and anxiety and worry, we break the hold over them in the name of Jesus. We reverse the curse that the enemy would have on their minds. And Father, we declare peace into this situation. I thank you for shifting this thing in their favor. I thank you for giving them the courage to continue and the strength to endure. Father, I say that you infuse their faith like never before. That you strengthen their knees. You strengthen their resolve. You recover, Lord, what was lost. Father, I thank you for redemptive power in this place. I plead the blood of Jesus over every mind and every heart. And I say liberty in Jesus name freedom in jesus name it will be well with our souls now father thank you for your spirit moving in this place i thank you god for the wind of the holy spirit moving in this place and father that you will go back and forth lord and that you will fill every heart with peace god and that even now lord that you're recovering and you're working in their hearts and they're able to feel and sense your presence god that you're resting upon them like you hovered over the earth that god you're sitting and stabilizing them that you're coming into their heart and giving them a peace that they've never known that you're giving them liberty that they've never known you're calming them and you're wooing them father thank you for your angelic hosts that are going to and fro this place up each and every row and i thank you for enveloping them into your spirit and wrapping them up into your arms i thank you god that they're worthy i thank you that they're loved i thank you that they're important i thank you god that you have given lives in exchange for them lord i thank you god for what you're doing and it will be well it will be well they'll have peaceful sleep when they lie down they will not be afraid that is your word I thank you for covering them and surrounding them with a wall of fire. Nothing by any means shall harm them, God. I thank you, God, for recovering everything that was lost. Just sing that, Pastor Polo, it is well. Just receive that and allow the Lord to... Man, there's just such a sweet spirit in here. It is well. With my soul Begin to declare that over yourself So your soul can hear it It is well With my soul It is well With my to the Lord whatever you need to pour out.